Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the ninth chapter of St. Mark with an emphasis on these words. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Take a trip to the Art Institute in Chicago, and you will be treated to a broad collection of some of the greatest works ever assembled by artists from across the world and across the ages. Walking in from Michigan Avenue, head up the grand staircase as you enter in and continue straight ahead into the museum. As you enter the Impressionism wing of the European Painting and Sculpture Exhibit, you will be greeted by one of the most famous paintings in the entire collection. Spanning more than half the entire height and width of the wall, the work captures an idyllic moment frozen in time from Paris in the late 19th century. The painting showcases the French working class enjoying a time of leisure on a beautiful afternoon in a park at the city gates. A Sunday afternoon on La Grande Jatte, or simply shortened La Grande Jatte, has been the topic of much debate since it first debuted all the way back in the spring of 1886. Critics and enthusiasts alike have tried and failed to glean specific political motifs, social commentaries, or countercultural critiques of the French bourgeoisie ideology. But, of course, no one interpretation has managed to definitively stand out. The reason for this apparent obscurity? Well, the artist who painted La Grande Jatte, Georges Soray, was far less concerned with politics and society than he was with a new movement in the art world, which today we call color theory. Seurat was preoccupied in his work with the idea of deriving and discovering the formula for the perfect artistic composition, a process which he laboriously pursued throughout his short but impactful career. Seurat was convinced that there was some equation for perceived beauty that could be unlocked through a precise harmony of color and geometry, two things which he showcases amply in La Grande Jatte. But to accomplish this effect, Seurat invented an entirely new method of painting which focused on painstaking mathematical precision to create that desired harmonic effect. Those of you who have seen La Grande Jatte or a picture of it before know precisely what it is that I'm speaking of. For Seurat, you see, was the father of pointillism, the process of painting a piece dot by dot, one color at a time. The effect of this style, if you've never seen it before, can be a little bit disorienting if you've never seen it in person. Walk up to La Grande Jatte and try to focus in on one particular detail, and you'll notice that that detail quickly gets lost. All you can see up close are the dots, the colors, the bits and pieces that make up the composition. However, if you take a step back, well, then those dots and colors 
They start to blend together. Suddenly, you can see figures and shapes. Move back further still, and all of those shapes and colors give way to the beautiful scene of that sunny island park on La Grande Jatte. It's only by observing the entire picture that you can appreciate it holistically for all of its beauty as the artist intended. Now, believe it or not, St. Mark actually produced a very similar composition some 1,800 years before Saray ever invented pointillism. Mark's medium, of course, was not oil and canvas, but rather it was pen and parchment. This epiphany season, as we have read through the beginning of St. Mark's Gospel, we've been given a very close-up view of Jesus from the perspective of the disciples as well as the great crowds that followed him. We've heard his teaching, we've seen him heal the sick and drive out demons and fulfill the law and the prophets. These various signs and wonders and parables and prophecies They all serve as the dots on the canvas that make up the bigger picture of the Christ. The formula and composition, which Jesus slowly revealed to his 12 apostles, we repeatedly have heard them in Mark adjure them not to speak a word about until the proper time. Biblical scholars call this the messianic secret. That is, the rhythm in Jesus' ministry of revealing bits and pieces of his identity as the Christ, but not announcing it to the world until his work was completed. Think of it like this. A painter in his studio works with students and craftsmen to assemble his ideas one piece at a time until there is eventually that great turning point where they can step back and everything starts to come together for them. At that moment, they can at last see the artist's vision for themselves. Today, at the celebration of the transfiguration of our Lord, we mark one such turning point for the disciples Peter, James, and John. As they ascend the mount with their friend and rabbi Jesus, whose miracles and teaching they've witnessed until now, they've begun to put some rudimentary idea together about who exactly it is that they have been following. Perhaps, his disciples wondered, perhaps this might be a new and a greater prophet, something like those great names of old, Moses and Elijah. Certainly, they thought, he is a miracle worker. They've seen him heal the sick and drive out demons, after all. Perhaps this might even be David's long-awaited heir, the one who would reunite Israel and drive out the Roman occupiers. Jesus, you see, had given them just enough to go on that their expectations were starting to run wild. But as they came to the pinnacle of that high mountain, whatever ideas they might have had about this Jesus, they were all suddenly transformed. As in the flash of a moment, Jesus' true glory was revealed to them. Here again from Mark. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to him, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. 
Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, for he did not know what to say. For the disciples were terrified. It's as though they were standing in a museum hall in front of one of the great masterpieces of the art world. The three disciples were forced into a stunned silence, trembling in fear and in awe as they witnessed with their very eyes and ears the Father's own salvific opus, revealed to them in the transfigured majesty of His only begotten Son. You know, Georges Sauré spent two long years composing Le Grand Jatte dot by dot. All of the greatest works in history were a pained and loving labor by their creators. In like manner, since the very day that mankind fell into sin, your God spent centuries, even millennia, creating his masterwork, the peace de resistance, which would appear to redeem man from death and the grave. Man, as man was always meant to be. And now, at the top of that high mountain, at long last, God the Father debuts not Le Grand Jatte, but Le Grand Dieu. That is, the greatness and the magnificence of God, given flesh and blood, witnessed for the very first time by human eyes in the three mesmerized disciples. They were the very first to be given a glimpse of that big picture, God's grand design for mankind's redemption, the reality of who this Jesus of Nazareth was and is. More than a teacher, more than a prophet, more than a miracle worker, and more even than a king. The glory manifested in Jesus is none other than the glory of God himself transposed into real human flesh and blood. The fullness of man and the fullness of God come together in the person of Jesus to reconcile us to him and to bring us out of darkness and death and into the light and life of his kingdom. All of Jesus' works attest that this, at last, is God's chosen vessel to carry into the world the good news of his forgiveness and his salvation. So then, perhaps it was even with a hint of pride and joy that the Father opened up the clouds to speak to Peter and James and John, saying, This, at last, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. For you see, after this moment, we really no longer hear the Father speak in Mark's Gospel, or for that matter, in any of the New Testament, except for one passage in John where he reiterates that this Jesus, He is every inch the very glory of God made manifest for us. It's as though the Father were saying, Here at long last is my greatest work, For you to behold. Let the work of Jesus now speak for me as he reveals to you the loving mercies of your God. In fact, the author of Hebrews would later opine on these very words, saying, Long ago, at many times and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. 
Jesus, then, is the very last word of God the Father. He is the defining statement of a God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son in flesh and blood to suffer and die for our sins, to win for us free remission and eternal life. Once God spoke this word to the three disciples, St. Mark recalls that suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Though, yes, the glory of God was indeed revealed to the disciples that day, the work of Christ was not yet complete, and it would not be complete until his death and his resurrection. Peter and James and John, they were given a glimpse of God's vision for man's salvation, for they would be the ones who would be privileged to share what they had seen with all the world. And yet, the world was not yet ready to see it. As we come out of Epiphany and into the season of Lent, we once again pause in awestruck wonder at the greatness of God as he reveals again his saving grace to us in the sufferings and the death of Jesus, crucified for us. The big picture of our redemption is once again on display in the church during this somber and penitential season. I urge you, dear friends, do not look away. In humble praise and thanksgiving, magnify the great and awesome work which has been done by God for you on Calvary's cross. More dazzling than the colors of a rainbow, more beautiful than any of the great masterpieces of man, the greatness of God in Christ Jesus continues to be revealed to his people today in the church through word and through sacrament. Draw near to these things, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and see the wonderful composition of your God which works new life in you. For in these elements, these dots of light and color on our sin-stained world is Christ, showing again his work of grace and mercy. In his most magnificent name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.